<coughs> Excuse me. Matthew chapter 16 tonight, if you will. And uh, last week we ended our series on um, the subject of subject of repentance, and um, I trust that that uh, has been a help to uh, most all of you here uh, to kind of clarify some things and to bring into light uh, the context of Scripture and how it deals with it. On Wednesday nights now, for I guess it's been about seven, six or seven months at least, maybe eight months, we've been trying to deal with passages of Scripture that are either oftentimes misunderstood or oftentimes misapplied and try to give some insight into them. Uh, We said there are three major, major rules to understanding Scripture. And the first rule is context. Oh, Brother Keith, there's a volume button on the back right side of that screen that you can push down for some reason. Now I know what you all have to endure. I heard myself for a minute. Folks, I'm sorry. But uh, one of the big rules is the context of Scripture. And then, of course, the second rule is the context of the Scripture. And then the third big rule is the context of the Scripture. And we say it that way because the truth is most of the Scripture that we mishandle or misunderstand is because we do not take the time to find out the context of it. When I say context, I think it's important for us to understand who's doing the talking. I think these are questions we ought to ask when we look at a passage. Who he's talking to. Uh, I think it's very important. Uh, what is the occasion? Why, why is he addressing this topic with them? Was there an issue he's trying to correct? Is there something he's trying to instruct them in? What is the, the purpose behind what he's dealing with here? And uh, I just think that there are some, some very, uh, very sincere people that have a desire to draw close to the Lord Jesus Christ, but we sometimes just don't know how to go about studying Scripture. And uh, so I hope that through doing some of this, you can kind of see how we develop these things. Um, One of the other critical things of Scripture, and we shared this uh, several weeks ago when we got ready to launch into our study on repentance, is to look at the rest of Scripture on the subject. Oftentimes, uh, God gives further clarity on a particular subject, uh, through other verses of Scripture. Sometimes it adds light and understanding to it. And so it's kind of important for us to understand all that the Bible has to say on it. And uh, I want us to look at uh, Matthew chapter 16, if you will. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 13. And I want to try to deal with something that has been an issue that I've had to address at least, I'm going to say at least five times in the last probably eight months with individuals. And uh, I, my thought is on it, if that many people are struggling with the idea, then let's take a service, let's teach on it, and, and try to clarify it from Scripture, and uh, maybe, maybe be a help to some that, even though I don't know that you have an issue with it, maybe you have been having an issue with it, and it might be a, a help to you. So let's look in verse number 13, if you will, of uh, Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, uh, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that the son of, I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that <coughs> thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm going to pause there for a moment. That statement is key to understanding this passage of Scripture. 
And if you have a pen and you're in the habit of underlining stuff in your Bible, I would underline that statement that Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So where did, where did uh, Peter get this knowledge from that, Christ, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God? Where did he get that knowledge from? He got it from God Himself, didn't He? Not from men. He didn't get it from the consensus of the religious leaders of the day. He got it from God Himself. By the way, that's where we ought to get all of our doctrine from. And it tells us here, as we get into this, uh, He says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I'm going to make a couple statements about verse 18, but that's not what the lesson will be on. It's very important for you to understand because you're going to have some people that will come to you and say that Peter is the rock that is spoken of here. But he is not. The rock that is spoken of here is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. The fact that uh, Simon knew that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, upon that truth, that basis. Uh, understand that there were many people in this, in this point that did not know who the Lord Jesus Christ was, or they were at least rejecting Him as the Christ. Because He even asked His disciples, <coughs> Whom do men say that I am? And they told Him. They said, Some of them think you're John the Baptist. Some of them think you're uh, uh, Elias. Some of you think that he's, you're Jeremiah. And, uh, and He said, Well, then whom do you say that I am? So this is kind of a, a revolutionary thought that's coming on the scene and uh, is being uh, made very apparent and very evident to uh, the disciples and the apostles specifically. But I want us to look mostly at uh, verse number, uh, the end of verse number 18 and the beginning of verse number 19. He talks about the fact that, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. And I want you to notice this phrase. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will, and the it there, the pronoun it, is not, is not referring to the rock, it's referring to his church. All right, very important. And I will give unto thee the keys, notice that's plural there, of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I want to address the subject tonight um, because it, it started in more of the non-denominational charismatic um, groups, has gone into the Word of Faith and New Apostolic Reformation type groups, and sadly has been creeping more and more into our circles uh, of, of people that uh, are trying to be doctrinally correct about Scripture. And that is this, the idea of binding Satan. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we've prayed, uh, Lord, bind Satan, you know, or, or maybe even spoke out loud and spoke to Satan directly. And I hear more and more people doing this. Satan, I bind you, you know. I, I don't find that in Scripture. And a lot of times 
people will point to this passage as their reason for saying, well, this is where we were given authority to bind or to loose. I have a few questions that I'm going to try to answer tonight. First of all, who was the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to? He's speaking to specifically the apostles. All right? Very important that we know who he's speaking to. Um, He's speaking about Satan himself. And uh, then the question is this, can we bind Satan? Well, I have a couple questions regarding this. If it were possible for you and I to bind Satan, then someone, surely, out of all the times they've spoken to him and said, I bind you in the name of Jesus, surely somebody would have bound him by now. Right? Who loosed him? If he was bound, he should be bound. Because what the Lord does, He doesn't do halfway. He's not weak where He's in a wrestling match with Satan and He holds him for a little while and then Satan squirms his way out. If God binds him, God's going to bind him. Another thing to think about is this. Uh, Has anyone ever bound Satan before? We don't find anywhere in Scripture where the disciples bound Satan, nor do we find the Lord Jesus Christ binding Satan. Now, He will... But he hasn't yet. Okay? Uh, Is Satan ever going to be bound? The answer to that, of course, is yes. In the thousand-year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ is going to bind him uh, for a period of that time, a majority of that period of that time. He'll be loose for a short season at the end. But that's where we find that he will be bound, finally, once and for all. Okay? And uh, then it's important for us to know who's going to bind him. It's not us. It's not the angels. You know, in fact, it's interesting that the Bible says that when Michael um, was uh, struggling with Satan for the body of Moses, that he durst not bring a railing accusation against him. Even the angels themselves don't mess with him. Uh, they certainly can deal with some of his minions and some of the de- uh, devils that are under his leadership, but they don't mess with him. Uh, by the way, Satan is not the evil opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not even anywhere near that. Christ is God Himself, and and literally with the voice of His mouth, uh, just the words of His mouth, He will bind Satan one of these days. And uh, Satan certainly does not have that. So, uh, this, this passage, and this is really the only passage I could find in Scripture that people could point to other than the one that talks about the Lord Jesus Christ binding Him in Revelation chapter 20 that kind of gives the idea of, that you can even get the idea of binding Satan on earth. Um, uh, there, are, there are some things that we are told to do, and we're going to look at that here in just a little bit, but I want us to see if, it doesn't, if it's not teaching here about binding Satan or the devils in this world, what is it talking about here? Why, why does he use this terminology? Um, whenever there's a passage of Scripture that does not within its context, give an explanation. And this is one of those. This is one of those where it does not really give a lot of explanation in this passage about what is he talking about here. Then we have to turn to the rest of Scripture. So let's take a moment and hold your place. We're going to come back to Matthew 16. But let's look over to Matthew 18 because we find, again, the same phrasing that is used. (coughs) Excuse me. Matthew chapter number 18 And let's go to verse number 15, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Moreover, 
If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, and in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. (coughs) And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. By the way, I just want to stop on this because this is dealing here with with a, a, a process of church discipline. We've been led to believe that uh, we are to turn a person out at this point of our church uh, in the church if they're not willing to listen to the church. And when we read this passage and treat uh, let him be unto thee as an heathen man, we believe uh, we've been taught in recent days that that means uh, we, we cut him off. We have no more part with him ever. But let me ask you a question. As members of a local New Testament Baptist church, how are we to treat the heathen? We, we certainly don't let them come into our church and practice their, their heathenism, but how are we to treat the heathen? We're to try to reach them, aren't we? So it doesn't mean you cut them off and never talk to them again. Now, we cannot let that continue in our church, and you certainly, there's, an, there's certainly other passages in Corinthians. Paul instructs them that you have to turn them out if they're not willing to listen, and we understand that. But when we do, we, knew it, we do it with a heart that's broken for them. We do it with a heart that longs to see them reconcile. And we do our part everywhere else that we can to see them restored. Uh, and that's within keeping the Scripture. I think sometimes we get that mixed up and the, the, day, the way it's practiced in our, in our local churches today is we, we kick them out and we don't ever talk to them again. They're, they're our enemies. They're, and I understand we cannot condone their sin and allow it into the church. But we need to, we need to try then still to reach them with, the, with the, uh, the truth of the gospel. All right? So just that's a side note. That was for free. That's not even part of the message tonight. But I wanted to hit that while we were here, okay? He says this, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind. Now, who is he speaking to here? He's speaking to the two or the three, or the church at least, that we find here. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever shall be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And here we find that same, same terminology, don't we? Why, why is it? What is, what is being said by that passage of Scripture? Well, here we do have some context that helps us understand what that means. And that is that we have the authority of heaven upon the decision that is made in this area of church discipline. Whatever that decision ends up being, if this person does not uh, hear the church and we have to turn him out, that that has, that decision has, not a man's authority, but the authority of heaven. In other words, that decision you're making, whether it's to bind or loose, if it's done on earth, it's the same as if it was done in heaven, and I'm putting my authority behind it, is what God is saying. Notice he says this in verse number, and, and again, keeping this verse in context, which we've already dealt with a few months ago. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So again, this isn't dealing with uh, church assembly and having the power of God if two or three people are around. It's dealing with the authority of heaven being given when it's done the, the way that God has instructed for it to be done here. If you follow this process, then the decision you gain has the authority of heaven on it. 
Okay? So now let's go back to Matthew chapter 16 for a minute. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 19, what is he talking about? Well, let's start with the first part of the verse. It says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Very important that you understand, they have not been given to the apostles yet. God is telling them, Christ is telling them, that we, I will give them to you. And they are the keys, plural. Okay? Now hold your place here for a minute and turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 30. What are these keys? I think this word keys is the key to the passage, all right? No pun intended. Uh, but it's very important for us to understand this. Revelation chapter 3, <clears throat> and uh, we're going to look at the, church, the letter to the church at Philadelphia in verse number 7. And unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true. Notice this. He that hath the what? Key of David. Ooh, boy, that's a great statement right there. A great statement. He that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. What a phrase. The key of David. What is he talking about here? He's talking about the salvation message that comes from the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the key to enter heaven. And he says, Church of Philadelphia, I've given you that key. Or I have that key. He doesn't say he's given it to him. He says, I have that key. Notice what he says about that key, this gospel message. He says, uh, and I have set, uh, he says, I know that, uh, he says, and no man, uh, uh, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Now know what he, notice what he says in verse 8. He says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. In other words, he's saying to the church of Philadelphia, I have the gospel message. I have the key of, key, key of David. This message that will get men into heaven. And he says, I have set before you an open door to use that key to reach people with the gospel. He's given them the authority of heaven. The gospel is not man's message. The gospel is the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I have the great privilege to carry it to a lost and dying world. And God has set before us an open door, and He says no man can shut it. We've been given the opportunity to share the gospel. So now let's go back again to Matthew chapter 16 and see how this all fits in. Notice he says, I will give unto thee the keys, plural, of the kingdom. Well, one of those, I certainly believe, is the key of the gospel, the gospel message. I think that's shown in Revelation chapter 3, that this message of the key of David, meaning that this is the line of David that brings salvation to men, and that there's an open door that has been given to the church to take that message, and he says, no man can shut it. He just told them in verse 18 that I will build this church, I will build my church. And he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, that door is going to be open for those of you that are doing the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gates of hell are not going to withstand it. As we go into a world and share the gospel, Satan cannot stop the gospel message. It's not going to happen. So what are the other keys that he speaks of here? Uh, let's take a look at Acts. Uh, uh, let's go to Acts chapter. Um, oh, did I write it down here? I think I did. 
No, no, no. Do I have it? Yes, I do. Let's go to Acts chapter 15. I knew I'd written it down, but I couldn't remember if I had it down here. Acts chapter 15 for a minute. So, keep the context of this passage. Jesus told Peter, he says, the fact that you know that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the rock, that's the, that's the foundation, that's the, that's the chief cornerstone of the church that I'm going to build on it. He says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on earth, and bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What's he talking about here? The new church that he was getting ready to establish, what we would consider to be the first century New Testament church, is brand new. And God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, does not give the church instructions on how they are to administrate, how they are to work, or how they are to behave in the house of God. Christ doesn't instruct them in that. Who does he give let's use this word, authority to, to instruct the church how that church is to operate now. I believe this passage is teaching quite clearly, you've been given the gospel message and the authority of heaven to begin teaching the church how it's to operate. Now, we find that fulfilled in the book of Acts. Let's look in Acts chapter number 15 for a moment. Acts chapter 15, and let's look in verse number 22. <clears throat> Acts chapter 15 and verse number 22. Then pleased it the who? Apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas surnamed Barsabbas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles... And elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicily, uh, Cilicia. For as much as ye have heard that certain went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your souls, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such... What's the next word here? What right do the apostles have to give any commandment to the church? They have the authority of heaven upon it. Now, this authority, Christ says in Matthew, that I will give you these keys. The gospel message uh, certainly is one of those. I believe very strongly that it's dealing now with this idea of the apostles are the ones who have been given the authority of heaven to instruct the church how the church is to perform. It does not come on them until Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Let's take a moment to look there for a moment. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. <clears throat> he says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. In chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of that. Verse number 1, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the what? 
Holy Ghost. And they began and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit, as the what? As the Spirit gave them utterance. So these keys of the kingdom of heaven did not come upon the apostles, I believe, until the Holy Spirit came upon them and gave them utterance. This is a, a preclusion or a, pre, a preface that the Lord Jesus Christ is giving to give authority to the apostles to finish writing Scripture when it pertains to the instruction of the church. He already knew that these men were going to pin the books and the letters that we have in our New Testament instructing the church, here's how you behave, here's how you don't behave. Here's your purpose, here's not your purpose. Here's how you administrate, here's how you don't administrate. Here's how you deal with problems. Here's how you don't deal with problems. None of that information was given to the church until the apostles gave it to them. And notice as we get back to Acts chapter 15, I want to finish reading that passage for you. Let me get back over there because I closed my book there. Okay, Acts chapter 15, let's finish reading this. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, it says, um, it seemed, uh, uh, let's see here. Verse 24 is where we ended. For as much as ye have heard that certain went, uh, which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost. You see that? Don't miss it. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. In other words, they're saying, this is something that the Holy Ghost of God has given us to give to you. What gives them that right? Because God said, or Christ said, I'm going to give you that same authority. The authority I give you in church discipline, that you have the authority of heaven in, I'm going to give you that same authority with regards to the keys of, of, of the kingdom of heaven in reference to him establishing his church. That's the context that he's giving this to the disciples. So we get to verse number 29. Uh, or let's finish verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from strangled, uh, things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. So he's giving them instruction. The, the apostles are giving the church instruction. You shouldn't be doing these things. So, when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced, for the consolation. So, this church at Antioch, they don't know everything yet. And these apostles said, we're going to send this because they need to know this. And they, says, they even say that the Holy Spirit and us thought it good to do this. And then when the message was read and the epistle was given, the church is like, oh, whew, boy, that's a relief. Now we know. Well, how did they know? Why didn't they say, well, who are you? to be telling us how to operate. We are an independent 
Baptist church. You can't tell me how to operate our church. <laughs> well, of course they can't. Because they have the authority that the Lord Jesus Christ promised He would give them to have the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What is it that the church is able to do to get people to Christ? Uphold the gospel message and conduct itself in a Christ-honoring way. These are keys to the kingdom of heaven. It's what allows people in the world to be drawn to a saving decision to the Lord Jesus Christ to get their soul saved for eternity. So, I believe this very strongly that the passage that we're dealing with here in verse number uh, chapter 16 or chapter 16 verses uh, verse number 19 is not dealing here at all with binding Satan or the devils, but is dealing here with the apostolic and key word here, folks, apostolic authority of heaven. They're the ones that were given inspiration along with the elders that were spoken of here and these few men that were higher in the church. So there are a few other folks that were used along with the apostles' message to dictate. And the elders and those that were high in the church did not come up with the message. They relayed the message that the apostles gave to them. They did so with the empowerment and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, instructing the church how it is to perform and how it is to behave. And a vast majority of our New Testament is written to the local New Testament church. Here's things you ought to be doing. Here's things you ought not to be doing. Why? Because God promised that He would give the disciples, the apostles specifically, the authority to be able to do these things and to establish them. And whatever they said needs to happen in the church, God said that's the same authority that I've given to them from heaven. You take it as inspiration. All right? So, uh, what can we do? You say, well... Uh, Pastor, if I can't if I can't bind Satan, uh, what what do I do? You know, uh, he's he's after me, or at least the devils they tempt me. They do some things. Well, let's take a real quick look uh, at what we are told to do. Turn with me first of all to James chapter four. James chapter four. Now I I will say this: if somebody prays and asks for God to bind Satan, I, I don't think that's that's a wrong thing to ask for, but understand, you won't do it until the millennial period. I think and when we do that, uh, we're basically saying, Lord, just come soon. We're, we're ready to get out of here, okay? But understand, He's not going to until uh, that day where, where He does so at the millennial reign. Uh, look with me in the book of James, chapter number 4. James chapter 4, and let's see what God does ask us to do or instruct us to do when it comes to this thing of Satan bothering us or, or tempting us. Look with me in verse 7. The Bible says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God. What's the next word here? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's two things in, involved here. One of them is submission of ourselves to God and resisting of the, uh, of the devil. So, understand that the temptation of Satan will always be exactly opposite of what God commands us in Scripture. So, you cannot do one without doing the other. You cannot resist Satan without, without conforming to and submitting yourselves to the truth that God's given us. Nor can you submit yourselves, and this is the key one, to the things of the Lord and also submit yourselves to Satan. 
You cannot do both. That tells us then that if we go into sin, we're not submitted to, 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 to Christ. We're not submitted to His Word. Not at that moment. I'm not saying we never are, but we aren't at that moment. We have chosen to follow after the things of Satan. So we're not, we're not resisting. How do we resist Him? By yielding ourselves to this book. By coming to this book every single day saying, Lord, I long to do it. That's my heart. I don't always succeed at it. Help me today. Help me to do this. When the temptations come, quote Scripture. Read Scripture. Think of Scripture. Sing a Scripture song. Do something with Scripture. Why? Because I want to submit my will to this book. I think it was Sunday I shared the, the thing where I was talking to somebody here a few weeks ago, and I shared with them a principle of Scripture, and they said, I don't agree with that. And I said, well, to be real frank with you, my flesh doesn't agree with it either. My, my nature, the, what, I, what I like or long for, I don't agree with it either. But I said I had to make a choice a long time ago that I'm either going to trust what I feel about it or I'm going to trust this book. I made a decision a long time ago. This book keeps me out of a whole lot more trouble than the things that I feel about things. So I'm going to yield myself to it. And even though I may disagree with it or not like it, I hate to say disagree with it because I think I always agree with it. But submitting yourselves to God is saying, Lord, I don't really care for that. My flesh doesn't like it. But I'm going to submit to it anyway. And that's something that the Holy Spirit of God puts inside of us. The desire to have His will above our will. Our will's still there, but our desire to have His will instead of ours is critical. So what do we do? What can we do? Well, we resist the devil. We do that by submitting to God. Now, what else can we do? Uh, let's look uh, verse number, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. There's a few other ones we can look at here. What else can we do besides resist the devil? 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 18. Now, this is one of those instructional books written by an apostle to instruct the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, let's look in verse number 18. Notice he says this, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he committeth fornication, sinneth against his own body. So we're to resist when in this particular sin... We are to flee it. We don't stick around long enough to find out if I'm strong enough to withstand it. We flee it the moment we recognize it, the moment we see it. Let's look in chapter 10. Same book, chapter 10, and verse number 14. So we can flee sin. Notice what else he tells us to flee from in verse number 14 of chapter 10. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from what? Idolatry. We're not even to stick around to see if we're strong enough to handle that. When we notice it's there, we're to flee from it. Okay, let's look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. So we have fornication so far. We have idolatry so far. Let's see what else we're to flee. Verse number 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith. So what are we to flee? He gives a whole list of things here in the beginning of chapter 6. Beginning in verse number uh, 4. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men or of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. Uh, Boy, that's a good one, isn't it? 
the word of faith people, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So we're to, we're to flee these things. Verse 9, But they that be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many uh, foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some having coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So we're to flee those things. Okay? Let's look in 2 Timothy chapter 2. What else are we to be dealing with in our lives? Verse number 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we have two, two things the Bible tells us basically. One is we're to resist Satan, and we do that by submitting to God. And then we are to flee, and there's a whole list of things that are given in Scripture. My dad told a story years ago. A very wealthy man lived on top of a mountain, had a very curvy road down the side of the mountain, very dangerous road. And his chauffeur of many, many years retired, and he needed to hire a new driver. And so he put an ad, and three men showed up and decided they were going to apply for the job of the chauffeur. And he said, I'm going to give each of you an opportunity uh, to show your skill driving up and down this mountain. And the first guy said, oh, I got this. And he jumped in the car, and he uh, took off, and boy, he squalled the tires out. And, I mean, he was an expert handler of that car. I mean, he raced down that road just skidding that tire within about 12 inches of the edge and perfect control all the way down the mountain. When he got back up to the top, uh, he said, boy, that's good. The second man said, I'll... I'll do better than that. And he got in there and once again showed his skill. I mean, just the handling of that car, he did better than the first guy. Coming really, really close to the edge, but having perfect control of that car every single time. The third guy comes along. And he puts the car in gear and he puts the brake on. He begins to slowly creep down this hill, hugging the inside of the curves to make sure that he stayed as far away from the edge as he possibly could. Which one do you think the guy hired? The one that was careful. The one that said, I'm not going to see how close I can get to it and not go over the edge. But the one who says, I'm going to see the edge and I'm going to get as far away from that as I possibly can. Can I tell you this? Don't miss the point for the illustration. As God's people, when it comes to this thing of Satan trying to tempt us, trying to destroy our lives, trying to give us difficult times in our life, we are to flee from it. Resist him by submitting to the things that God has told us in His Word, and get out of there. Do not flirt with sin. Don't try to get as close as you possibly can without doing the exact sin itself. You stay away from it. You put, you put barriers, you put safeguards in place that even if you go over that safeguard, you're still safe according to God's Word. You don't get to the close edge. You stay far away from it. Uh... And then I want to just share two things with you. Psalm 119, in verse number 9, I quote it quite often. The psalmist writes, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Notice the answer to that is this, By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
Psalm 119, 135 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's one of these things that, folks, when it comes to resisting Satan, we don't command him. We don't talk to him. We don't say, Satan, I bind you under the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We submit ourselves to the Lord. If I'm going to talk to anybody in a moment of temptation, it's certainly not going to be the devil. I'm going to cry out to God, Lord, help me. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was teaching His disciples to pray. He said, I want you to pray after this manner. And we go through the Lord's Prayer. He says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. When that time comes in my life, I'm not going to talk to Satan. I'm going to cry out to God, Lord, deliver me from this evil. I have no authority in this earth to bind him. The angels have not bound him. Christ himself will bind him and has the ability to, but he hasn't done so yet. So what do we do? We resist him by submitting ourselves to God. Matthew uh, six nineteen is very, very important because we understand through this that we have two recourses. Reading and knowing this book, according to Psalm 119, and crying out to God, Lord, help me in this area. Deliver me from evil. But don't, don't cry out to Satan. Don't, don't try to demand him around. Satan is, is shrewd. Satan is deceitful. He's tricky. Our hearts are wicked. And he can certainly get a foothold in there quicker than you and I can even blink. Don't mess around with him. Flee from him. Cry out to God, Lord, help me through this time. Let me know what your word says about it. But I don't have any right nor any authority to bind Satan. Even if Matthew chapter 16 had dealt with the fact that it was binding Satan. It was given to the apostles. It was not given to us. Very important we understand the context of that. I hope that will help. I I, I don't go out of my way to correct people when they say, Pastor, I I bound Satan or I, I told the Lord I wanted to bind Satan in his name. You don't, have to, you don't have to sit there and snap at them and chew them out over it. But you need to know the truth. And you need to be able to help people that misunderstand that truth. All right? So uh, don't try to bind him this week. Okay? If something happens, spend some time in God's Word. Say, Lord, I want this will here to be done, not mine. And cry out to him and say, Lord, deliver me from evil. Deliver me from this temptation. He's promised that in every one of them, He's made a way of escape for us, every single one of them. All right, let's stand together and be dismissed. Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it and use it. Father, may we understand this and and not try to read into uh, this passage something that is...